All right, let's turn now to Habakkuk. The book of Habakkuk. Look at verse 5. Behold ye among the heathen, or among the nations, and regard and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days which ye will not believe, though it be told you. The developments, of course, in Israel turned our hearts to these prophecies, and I spent a few nights on it. And I am very happy that in the good providence of God, I was the first preacher in the country on the radio to come out on these things. And now preachers are talking about this all over the country on radio programs and everything else. There's more discussion of the prophecies going on in this country tonight than I believe we've had in the last 25 years. They're talking about everywhere. And everybody that comes down to Christian Admiral wants to talk about it. And every preacher I have coming down there wants to preach about it. It's the most fascinating thing that uh, Israel has Jerusalem and Palestine has shaped itself up and all these prophecies. Well, then I decided that perhaps it wouldn't be, would be to our edification if I turned through some of these minor prophets. And we looked at Nineveh and we looked at the prophecy of Naaman. Then we looked at Jonah. That was related to Nineveh. Now we're going to look at Habakkuk. And I think maybe we can go on and I'd perhaps spend some Sunday nights, several Sunday, night, Sunday nights on some of the longer ones. But this one of Habakkuk is a, is a stirring little prophet. When we turn to it, of course, we have certain advantages. We have the advantages of the New Testament quotations from it. Uh, we know very little about Habakkuk. As a matter of fact, we don't know anything about him. He doesn't tell him anything about himself and He's pretty well identified as the period of which time he spoke was just before the exile, just before the, the captivity of, of the children of Israel. Isaiah predicted it, you see, and Jeremiah predicted it, and Ezekiel predicted it. But here this Habakkuk arose, and he was just at the threshold of the exile. And uh, otherwise, we know very little about it. But in the good providences of God and in his perfect uh, revelation, we find in the New Testament that we do have some references to it. And this passage here in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5, I will work a work in your days, though ye will not believe it, though it be told you, is directly referred to in the book of Acts chapter 13. The apostle Paul is with Barnabas, He's on his, uh, been on his missionary journey, and it's at Antioch that the separation took place, but here it is at Antioch that the apostle made this great ministry, this great sermon at, uh, uh, at Antioch, and may I begin reading with the 37th verse. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. He's speaking about Christ, not David. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, that is, through Jesus Christ, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified from all things which they could not be justified by the law of Moses. The just shall live by faith. Beware, therefore, lest that come upon you which is spoken of by the prophet. The prophet. So Paul calls the prophet Habakkuk a prophet. He identifies him. 
Behold, ye despisers and wonders and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which ye will not believe, which you will in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. Paul calls Habakkuk a prophet, and he makes direct reference, of course, to this fifth verse, which I have just given to you in the text of the evening. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached unto them next Sabbath. Now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking unto them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. So at Antioch there was this witness that the apostle gave. Men were saved, they believed, and a work had been wrought in their day. It was the work of Jesus Christ, the work of our beloved Savior. Now running through the prophecy of Habakkuk, there are some very familiar texts, texts that have been used repeatedly. Of course, perhaps the most famous one is chapter 4, verse 2. But the just shall live by his faith. The just shall live by his faith. Habakkuk preached the gospel of salvation just as we're preaching it here tonight. He preached salvation by faith, and that's in his message. God told him to write this vision. He wrote the vision. He said, make it plain that he may run that reader. Now, this is what you and I find out when we're speeding down the highways. They tell us today they must make the big signs on the highways so big and place them in such an order that somebody driving at 65 miles an hour can read them. And this is exactly what the Lord said to the prophet. You'll set that sign out there so that if somebody's running down that road, they'll be able to read it. The size of the letters, the placement of the sign will be such a way that even though he's in a hurry and even though they're moving fast, they'll still be able to read that sign and find out what I want to say to them. Then will you turn over, please, to the 20th verse of this second chapter. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. That's a text that's frequently used over the back of pulpits in many churches and has been through the years. Then you come to chapter 3. We get the great prayer of the prophet, this final great prayer. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known in wrath, remember mercy. He's pleading with God to be merciful. And he's pleading with God that there may be a revival even before the captivity. And we're pleading with God that there may be a great turning to him even before the judgment falls and before the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ at this time. Then in this third, in this third chapter, of course, you have another very beautiful text, which is down at the close. And I must say to you people that I've had this given to me from the very youngest of days because my mother used to quote it. And I used to wonder what the thing meant. But here it is. Though the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold. And there shall be no bread in the stall, no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hinds' feet, 
and he will make me to walk upon mine high place. Beloved, no matter what happens, how dark it may be, what the disasters are, what the poverty or the calamity may be, there may be no herd in the stall, there may be no olives on the tree, there may be no fruit on the vines, there may be utter disaster afflict you. No matter what comes unto you on this earth, you belong to Jesus Christ and in the midst of your trial, in the midst of your poverty, in the midst of your disasters, the psalmist says here, this great prophet says, I will rejoice in the Lord and I'll joy in the God of my salvation because he's still my strength. Oh, what a beautiful conclusion that is to this great passage. And this great prophet now, as he leads, as he comes just to the children of Israel, they're going to go into captivity. They're going to see the most terrible desolation. They're going to see their city destroyed. They're going to be carried off into captivity. They're just on the very verge of it. And he's saying to the little remnant, he's staying to a little company that'll be in, that'll go into exile. And there were a few that did believe, and they were carried off with all the rest of them. Don't let the disaster that will hit Israel, don't let the calamity that comes upon the city of Jerusalem, don't let the fact that the olive trees are cut down, don't let the fact that there'll be no fruit on the vine, don't let the fact that God's going to judge Israel for her sins, don't let that fact cause you to turn against God. You still believe in him. And let him be the joy of your salvation because he is your strength. My, when you read that text, you think of old Job, don't you? You think of old Job. Oh, beloved, when you come to hours of calamity, sometimes I think of the Christians in the Iron Curtain countries. And I think of these Christians in other lands, and they've lost everything. They're worshiping in the catacombs. They're moving around trying to just two or three to cry out to God. And everything's against them. They've lost everything. There's nothing but persecution. And what is it? They joy in the Lord. Their only hope is in this one who will raise the dead. And they joy in this God. But poor Job, you know, he had his houses and he had all these things. And then the disasters came and he has his sons and they were all killed. And Job, Job had his boils and he had his afflictions and he had his miserable comforters that came and tried to tell him this. And he says, miserable comforter ye. And finally... Finally, after he's lost his sons and he lost his barns and his body was eaten by boils, finally his own wife came to him of all things, his own wife with whom he lived and loved. He said, why don't you curse God and die, Job? Job, there's not much use. Your God hasn't treated you right. He hasn't been fair to you. You've got boils and you've lost your sons and your barns are gone. And just, just curse him and die. And Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And beloved, no matter what came down the road or what's going to be your portion or my portion in the weeks or the months or years that are ahead, if everybody forsakes us, if everything goes against us, if every disaster comes upon us, if there's nothing left, Take the words of this great prophet of Habakkuk. And he says, I'll still joy in the joy of my salvation, the God of my salvation. Oh, beloved, the calamities, the disappointments, the disasters, the tragedies of this present earth are not anything to be compared to the glory that's just ahead of us. And the earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. 
like the waters cover the sea. And that's just over the horizon. That's just over the hill. That's just over the day when Jesus Christ comes back as he's promised to come. Now when we turn to this book of Habakkuk, First, there is the recognition of the awful wickedness in the streets, the awful iniquity of the people, their idols, their stocks, their false worship, their adulteries, their crimes. All of this thing bears down upon the prophet, and the prophet cries out, Oh, God, you can't behold iniquity. God, you can't have fellowship. What? With you, God, why haven't you dealt with them before this time? That's the way it starts out. And then God tells the prophet that uh, they're going to be dispersed. And he actually describes and actually names here by name the Chaldeans. He says they're going to come. The Chaldeans are going to come. They're going to carry away. But as he names them, he projects this, this, this captivity among the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. He projects this captivity even on a larger scale and has in mind their dispersion among the nations. Among the nations. And here he says, I'll work a work in your day and no man will believe it even if it's told to you. And he has in view, of course, this great dispersion. And then he goes on further and he has in view the day and he speaks of it at this particular point in verse 14 of chapter 2. For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And here you see he projects himself clear beyond the dispersion, clear beyond the coming back of the Lord, clear yonder to the great day of peace and the millennial reign of Christ when as the waters cover this sea, they'll cover the earth, or at least the knowledge of the glory of God will abide throughout all this earth. And here this prophet, standing here just before they're carried off into the Babylonian exile, denouncing their sin and their awful judgment and saying, God, are you holy? Why haven't you dealt with them? Calling the name of the Chaldeans, they're going to come and carry them off. And he describes their, their swiftness and describes their chariots and describes how they'll come. And as he describes this, then this whole thing is projected onto the larger scene of the great dispersion after God has worked to work and crucified his son and they wouldn't believe it, though a man told it unto them. They refused to believe this work which God worked in raising up a Redeemer and bringing a Messiah in the person of Jesus Christ. And then you have the dispersion and then you come to some of these scenes. As you read them, you can't help but see it's the final culmination of this great battle, this great struggle. And finally, the earth is going to be full of the knowledge of the glory of God like the waters cover the sea. Now that's a battle. Paul says he's a prophet. Paul quotes it from the New Testament. Quotes these words. It's a beautiful little prophet. In fact, it's, it's just nice to have everything summed up in such a nice short way. All put together in such a nice way. And we have the advantage in looking at this prophet of the New Testament quotations, of the New Testament fulfillments of the work that God worked when he raised up his son and it is now being declared and they won't believe it. They won't believe it when it's declared. 
And that's what we're doing now. We're declaring it. All in the world we're doing, we're declaring that God has worked the work. That work is complete. That work is satisfactory to him. That work is for your salvation. God has worked this work. Won't you believe it if a man comes and proclaims it unto you? That's the book of Habakkuk. And he preached the gospel. All right, now turn to chapter 1. Turn, if you will, to chapter 1. The burden of Habakkuk the prophet did see. He was a seer. The prophet saw these things. These are visions. As a matter of fact, as you turn on through the little prophecy, we have direct reference to vision. Chapter 2, verse 2, And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision. Write the vision. These men saw visions. And God gave them these visions by the Holy Spirit. Habakkuk had no idea that the knowledge of the Lord, of the glory of God, would cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. That's the last thing in the world that Habakkuk could think about with all the corruption and the sin and the idolatry and everything else about him. And Habakkuk knew that God's judgment was going to fall on Israel because of their sin and that God had to judge them. He says so. How in the world could Habakkuk talk about the knowledge of the Lord covering the earth like the waters cover the sea? Only by revelation. Only by revelation, that's all. This is the burden of a back. May I say a word or two to you people about a burden? A burden? Isaiah had a burden. The burden of the Lord to Jeremiah. In other words, the Spirit of God laid hold upon these men. And they had to respond. They couldn't do anything else. They were chosen of God. And this vision, this great revelation that God gave to them so gripped them that they had to speak. Jeremiah says it's fire. It's coming out. They have to speak. And that was the burden of the Lord. My beloved, none of us have that. The Lord's never spoken to me that way. In fact, I don't expect him to speak to me that way. I don't know anybody today that he does speak to that way. In fact, he doesn't speak that way anymore. Do you know where you get the burden of the Lord today? Only from this book. Only from this book. The burden of Habakkuk has been written down. And when I read it, I see it, I understand it. I know that Habakkuk spoke the truth. I know that God's Holy Spirit gave Habakkuk this judgment against the Israelites. I know that the Spirit of God told Habakkuk about the work that was going to be wrought in this day to come, which was the coming of Christ, and the Savior would redeem. I know that is there. And when Habakkuk explains it, and I say, my burden is not that I should receive it in some special vision. My burden is that I should get up and tell you. A man will tell you. Someone will tell you that these things are of God. The Almighty God has dealt with Israel. He's dealt with his people. He's given us a revelation. He's given us a book. My burden tonight is not that some fire is going to come out of my tongue or I'm going to be burdened like these prophets were. No, God used them specifically and directly. I'm being used simply to tell you what God told them because it's his word. You know, we don't have priests in our church. I can't be a priest. I don't make sacrifices. I'm just a minister. I'm just a minister. I'm a preacher. 
Oh, I have the privilege of praying to God as a priest, just like you do. You're a prophet, you're a priest, you're a king. But I, I don't wear priestly robes, and I don't perform the function of a priest, and I'm not making a blood sacrifice. I'm not doing these things for you. That priestly ministry is over. All the work that needs to be done by a priest on this earth has been finished. All you need, all you dear people need is some ministers to tell you what the Bible says so that you'll believe it. And then believing it, you'll conform your life to it. I don't know, I... We met some of our people after church today and we were talking in precious fellowship. You know, ladies and gentlemen, that little bishop did something to your pastor. He had a profound influence on me. Profound influence on me. Just to be around him. He was small. He was black. He was all sorts of these things. Uh, he had his own little ways about him. I've never been so close to anybody like him in my life. And yet, that which rejoiced my heart was that he believed exactly as I did. He understood my language. We prayed together. We prayed just alike. Beloved, he's a little fellow way off there in South India. Out of poor people. I've been reared in the culture of a free country. I've been re reared in this great America. And uh, I I'm accustomed to sleeping on a bed. He sleeps on the floor, on the ground. I I'm accustomed to having certain things. In fact, it's the only life you and I have now. But he believes exactly what your pastor believes. And we just talked and talked and talked and talked and talked. And though his, he was out of his poverty, his mind was so sharp and so clear, cutting in these things, no possible compromise. He'd fought all the battles with all the arguments and all the forces to try to beat him down and try to stop him and try to get him to capitulate, try to get him to compromise. He'd been through every one of these struggles in the years that he'd fought over there with all these forces. And, he, and when I talked to him and we discussed these things, oh, what a companion he became. And beloved, the Bible and the word which that man preached led him to do exactly the same things that we've been led to do. And furthermore, it made him to live the same kind of a life that we've been led to live. No, no drinking, no smoking, nothing of this sort. A clean body, a clean vessel offering himself as a reasonable sacrifice unto God. And it was the Bible. The Bible made him what he is. And praise God, it's the Bible that's made Carl McIntyre what he is tonight. And the burden of this prophet, the burden of this great prophet, to stand up and preach. All right, look at his first great message. Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry? Lord, what's wrong with you, Lord? Why don't you seem to respond? There's violence here in the streets. Why dost thou show me iniquity? Lord, cause me to behold grievances. For spoiling and violence are before me, 
and therefore that way raise up strife and contention. Lord, why don't you deal with these people? And then he says, all this is because the law is slackened in judgment, but never doth never go forth, and the wicked doth compass about the righteous. Therefore, wrong judgments proceedeth. And beloved, this describes my country tonight. Wrong judgments proceedeth. Because the law is relaxed, civil disobedience, all this sort of thing. What does the Bible say? The law is slackened and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous. Therefore, wrong judgments proceedeth. That was the condition. He arose to speak in days like that. And then God says, Behold ye among the heathen. And then he broadens this whole thing out, you see. And he says, I will work a work. And for low, verse 6, I raise up the Chaldeans. Here they are. He mentions them by name before they come. That bitter and hasty nation which shall march through the breadth of the land. The Chaldeans are going to march right down through the center of Israel. They're going to come over here and take captive this city of Jerusalem to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They're coming in to destroy this country and to destroy this city. Isn't it interesting, beloved, that Nasser said over there the other day they were going to march right through the whole place and drive them into the sea and they were going to take the possession of the land which the Israelis had? They are terrible and dreadful. Here, describing the armies of the, uh, uh, of the uh, uh, Chaldeans. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed upon of themselves. Their horses also are swifter than the leopards and are more fierce than the evening wolves. And their horsemen shall spread themselves and their horsemen shall come from afar. They shall fly as the eagle that hasteth to eat. Now, beloved, this describes the destruction of the city by the Chaldeans. They came and destroyed Jerusalem and took them captive for 70 years. And then, of course, they came back. We have the story of Ezra, the story of Nehemiah. We have Daniel, of course, in the captivity, and Ahasuerus, and Esther, and all these things that took place. But, oh, beloved, at this point, this prophecy of the Chaldeans reaches out, and it seems to take on a little more broader, expansive context. And it's not improbable at all that at this point he's speaking about this final great assault when they shall come against Jerusalem. I will gather all nations and they shall fly as eagles that hasteth to me to eat. They shall come all for violence. Their faces shall sup up as the east wind and they shall gather the captivity as the sand. They'll gather up great handfuls of sand and carry it off, you see. And they shall scoff at the kings, and the princes shall be a scorn unto them. They shall deride every stronghold. Oh, the speeches they'll make against them, for they shall heap dust and take it. Then shall his mind change, and he shall pass over and offend imputing this his power unto his God. He's going to give a pagan God. He's going to give the idols credit for this victory over the children of Israel. 
And then Habakkuk turns again and he cries out to God, Oh, this is the holiness of these great prophets. He says in verse 12, Art thou from everlasting, O Lord my God, mine holy one? We shall not die. There's life in thee, Lord. You've provided justification by faith. He gives us that great text. O Lord, thou hast ordained them for judgment, and Almighty God, thou hast established them for correction. Thou art, thou art a purer eyes than to behold evil and canst not look on iniquity. Therefore lookest thou upon them. Wherefore dost thou look upon them to deal treacherously? And holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth a man that is more righteous than he. And, O oh, beloved, he asks these questions, and the answer comes back a little further back. Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. The prophet cries out, Lord, please be merciful. Please wait, Lord. Please give a little longer chance. Please give these people time to hear. Please, Lord, give these people an opportunity to repent and to cry upon the living God. Then we come down to the second chapter. In the second chapter, we have his great vision. And the vision is that after God destroys, he's going to heal and restore. And finally, we come to the third chapter, which is the great adoration of the prophet. O oh Lord, I've heard thy speech and was afraid. O oh Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years, in the midst of the years. Make known. Lord, let men rise up in these last days. Lord, give us preachers who make known, who declare thy righteousness. Lord, let us speak. Let us cry out these things. Let this voice be heard in the land. Let thy message be known. But men may have an opportunity before it's too late to come and find pardon and forgiveness and everlasting life. That's a back. And finally you come to the close. He says, the mountain saw thee, verse 10. Isn't that beautiful? The mountain saw thee, and they trembled. The overflowing of waters passed by. The deep uttered his voice and lifted up his hands. The sun and the moon stood still in their habitation. At the light of thine arrows they went, and at the shining of thy glittering spear. Here he comes as a man of war. Here he treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And beloved, when you take Habakkuk, this little gem situated here, and you see Habakkuk in the light of Revelation, you see Habakkuk in the light of Daniel, you see Habakkuk in the light of the prophecies of, of, of Matthew 24 and 25 and Luke 31, Luke 21, and you see these great prophecies, and God Almighty is going to come with his spear. The sword will be in his mouth, the sun and the moon will do his bidding and the mountains will vanish and they'll move away. He has that kind of power. And finally we come after he describes the Lord and how he's cared for his people, how he's dealt with this people and that people. And finally the psalmist says, and he is a psalmist here, I trembled in myself, verse 16, that I might rest in the day of trouble. He's going to be delivered from the day of trouble. The day of great tribulation, he'll be taken out of it when he cometh up unto the people. He will invade them with his troops. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, the field shall yield no meat, the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stall. 
Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. And he will make my feet like hinds feet. And he will make me to walk upon mine high place. That's our God. Beloved, I will work a work in your day that ye will not believe even if a man tell you. That's it. God has wrought that work in the redemption purchased for you and me. A man comes and tells you. A man proclaims it to you on this earth. A man arises and in the name of the Lord he invites you to redemption. He asks you to turn from your sins. He asks you to listen to the mercy of God. And you won't believe it. You won't believe it. And beloved, when you turn it down and you reject it, and America is doing that tonight, she's had her light, she's had her grace, and God's judgment falls. And isn't it amazing that those who are in the midst of the awful wickedness and are committing all the abominations call it new theology and the new light of our day. Darkness to them has become light. And certain judgment awaits this nation unless we turn to him in this great hour. Oh, that some man could arise that the people would listen to. That's what Habakkuk, that's who he was. He was the last one. The last one, the last of the little prophets just before the Chaldeans came. But they came. And they destroyed Israel. They destroyed the temple. They destroyed Jerusalem. And they carried them off to 70 years of Babylonian slavery among the Chaldeans. And it happened. Just as God's word said it would happen. My, I'm thrilled. I must close. But I'm so thrilled today. These things that are happening have just about knocked all the, all the, all the spiritualizing out of a lot of these people that tried to look at the Bible and not believe that it was literally true. On every hand, people said, well, I used to think this was figurative. I used to think this was spiritual. Can't do it anymore. Beloved, the end of the, the, end of the ages has come upon you and me. And God has done something in Jerusalem. He's done something in Jerusalem that he said he was going to do in his word. And we're in the midst of these years, these days today. The coming of the Lord is just at hand. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank thee that these hope, this hope is in our heart. And oh God, we believe thy word. And we thank thee for this little prophet Habakkuk, nestled in here in the presence of conditions that are so similar to our day, with a message of hope that there will be a deliverance and that in the final consummation the knowledge of the Lord will cover this earth like the waters cover the sea. Father, we thank thee that all the prophets denounce the same kind of iniquity, the transgression of thy law. We thank thee that all the prophets spoke of the work which thou wouldst work in that great day and men should proclaim it, but others would not believe it that all the prophets told of the judgments of thy wrath upon the nations and upon thy people who forsake thee, and that all the prophets told us that there would be a final consummation of peace and righteousness, 
and that all the prophets told the little remnants that no matter what happened to them, no matter what would come, even if the fig tree should not blossom, even if the stall should be completely deserted of the herds, and there was no harvest in the fields, but still we would joy in the God of our salvation. God, may that faith be ours tonight. For Christ's sake, amen.